This is the day that the Lord has made. I'm glad. Are you glad? Are we ready to worship? Let's stand and sing. It's number 549. But let's, I know that. Children at 1030? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Childlike faith, there you go. We've got two toddlers that are making their way. But I'm also going to make my way to the back of the sanctuary at one point. Hi, guys. Can you come sit next to me? <laughs> good morning. Good morning. You're good. Thank you. Well, some of you guys are going to go back to school. Have you already started school or do you start this week? You start on September 6th. How did you get so lucky? Well, you, you are one of the late starters because some people are starting. Some people started this last week. Some people started a week ago, and some people are starting this week. So we wanted to take a chance to let you guys all know whether you're going to preschool, whether you're in childcare, or you're going to school. That we, as your church family, love and care for you and support you. Um, and to do that, we're going to take a moment to be in prayer. So I know that you don't have your backpack, but I'm going to give you a card that you can place on your backpack so that you know that your church family goes with you each and every day that you're at school, okay? Let's be in prayer for our children, and I'll invite you all to, uh, to pray along, and then I have a request for you. Will you help me with something once we're done with this? All right. Let's be in prayer. Awesome God. 
Bless these children and youth who carry backpacks and bags to school as they begin yet another year. Give them peace when they are nervous, focus when they feel distracted, and energy when they feel tired. Open their minds to the lessons they will learn both in and outside of the classroom. Help them to make friends that will build one another up and be friends to those who need them. Guide them in making good choices as they grow in wisdom and maturity. Be ever present with them in their classroom, on their way to school, on the playground, and at home. And may they feel your loving care in all they do. Amen. You want to come help me? Can we ask our teachers to stand? And yeah, you want to ask our teachers to stand too? And then we're going to say something to our teachers. You're going to say, blessed, blessed. Can you do that? All right, so to all of our teachers, you are blessed to be a blessing. Thank you for all you do. All right. And you guys can go back to your seat. presence of the Lord surely is in this place, and God's blessing has been so richly among us and has blessed us deeply. Just prior to our ushers coming forward, we're going to have the opportunity to hear how our stewardship and our giving back to the community transforms lives and makes God's spirit known to others. I'd like to invite Rick Schroeder to come forward at this time. And thank you, Pastor Rachel and Pastor Walt and Thank you to our Outreach and Social Concerns Committee, and really especially thank you to this congregation. I'm very pleased to announce that over the last couple of months, this congregation has raised over $2,000 to support Many Mansions' new children's program and community center at our Pepper Tree Apartments in Simi Valley. As you know, Many Mansions is a nonprofit affordable housing and service provider, and we provide affordable housing for those residents in our community most in need. And one of our newer properties is the Pepper Tree Apartments. And Pepper Tree Apartments, all the residents were chronically homeless. That is, the residents were homeless for more than a year, children were homeless, children were separated from their parents. Uh, but they're together now, and part of our new program, children's program, was the development of a community center for our after-school tutoring program, and our summer camp program, and counseling among adults. And I'm happy to say the money that you raised will now furnish a, a computer center at the, at the place. New computers, um, audiovisual, Wi-Fi, internet access, things that our children and our residents need to succeed. 
So thank you so much. This congregation has been wonderful. Many Mansions is celebrating its 38th year anniversary this Thursday. And I know this congregation has been a huge supporter in all that time. So thank you so much, and thank you for your generous support. And now that we've seen the ways in which God's Spirit can take the gifts that we give and bring life-giving hope to the community, we now have the opportunity to give once again. Our ushers will wait upon us.
Let us be slow in our yearning to hang on our blessings and quick to share them with the hungry, the lonely, the frightened, and the hurting in our world. That our gifts might become the kind of first fruits for those who, whose lives are so empty. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. I'm singing the Balm of Gilead this morning, and I really didn't know that much about it. I found that the Balm of Gilead in biblical times was renowned for its healing and medicinal purposes. It's even used today. People will harvest the buds from the poplar, balsam, balsam poplar, and it is still renowned today for its healing properties. So I offer this to you today for whatever healing you may need in your life and really that we all need for this world.
listen and receive a reading from the Word of God. May we affirm our faith with joy and a willing spirit as we hear today's scripture. Our reading is from the book of Mark, chapter 7, verses 1 through 8. Now when the Pharisees and some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem gathered around him, they noticed that some of his disciples were eating with defiled hands, that is, without washing them. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they thoroughly wash their hands, thus observing the tradition of the elders. And they do not eat anything from the market unless they wash it. And there are also many other traditions that they observe, the washing of cups, pots, and bronze kettles. So the Pharisees and the, and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not live according to the tradition of the elders? but eat with defiled hands. He said to them, Isaiah prophesied rightly about you hypocrites. As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching human precepts as doctrines. You abandon the commandment of God and hold to human traditions. This is God's word to God's people. So if you were uh, following along in that scripture reading, you got a, uh, a good glimpse into some of the things that were uh, thought of as important for being faithful in those days. Uh, the scribes and the Pharisees, uh, Mark tells us, were doing this and following this tradition and that tradition, and Jesus' people were not. So they raised that concern to him. And we see in Jesus' response, I think, some words that we all should take to heart some 20 centuries later about what it is we do as we practice our faith and whether that practice of our faith is really something that is giving expression to what we deeply believe. Beliefs are to be manifested. Beliefs are to be lived out in our behaviors. And our behaviors are to be informed, are to be shaped by our beliefs. I think this is healthy spirituality and discipleship. When we have a, a congruence, is the word that I want to use this morning, a congruence between our beliefs and our behaviors. Now what I mean by congruence is what you don't see when you're watching a 3D film without those special glasses. If you don't have those glasses, the images are, are kind of all messed up, right? They're not, both cameras are not congruent with that. Congruence is, is when things are lined up properly with themselves. There's a consistency, there's a, a harmony, like saying what we mean and meaning what we say, or doing what we say and meaning what we do. Thanks to Mark's scripture today, and next week we'll be using James's epistle, we're going to be looking at this understanding of 
how we become authentically faithful, how we become congruent with our beliefs and our behaviors. I think it's an important thing for us as individual people of faith. It's an important thing for our congregation. It's an important thing for the, the Christian movement in our community. That we mean what we say. That we do what we say. That those things are congruent. So Mark tells us about the Pharisees and the scribes and not presenting them in a particularly good light, really. Um, Jesus gives them a, a pretty stern talking to at the end. But let's, let's kind of remember, though, that generally the scribes are good guys. The, the scribes are, are fairly smart, at least smart enough to know how uh, to copy letters, if not actually read. So they, the scribes might actually be the literate ones in the community. They've taken upon themselves the task, or they've been given the task because of their holiness or trustworthiness, to write down things that are important. So scribes would uh, be writing down what Paul is saying to his group in Ephesus, or scribes would be copying Paul's letter into a second and a third copy of it to be distributed. Scribes were the printing presses of the day. Sometimes scribes were the commentators of the day. They would write in the margins some observation about what they were writing. We only have our scriptures thanks to the scribes. We like the scribes. Scribes are basically good folk. <laughs> Pharisees, well, you know, Pharisees really took it on the chin a lot, but Pharisees were those characters who wanted to do their best to help other people live rightly. And as most of us don't like to be told what to do, a lot of people didn't like the Pharisees because those were the ones that were waving the finger. But the Pharisees thought they understood the law of Judaism. They thought they had it pretty much figured out. And so they taught um, people who would listen to them how to behave rightly. And, th and that's what you kind of heard here in Mark with, you know, wash your hands before you eat. You know, make sure those pots are clean. You know, this and that. These different rules that uh, are good to follow, it was believed. So Pharisees were, were our friends. Pharisees were trying to help us to, to do the right thing. The trouble was, with both of these groups of folk, was that they got a little high-handed. The trouble was they got a little self-righteous. The trouble was they, they got the inside part of their faith messed up with the outside part of their faith. The two were not congruent. They got out of whack somehow. In Jesus' mind, they had gotten disconnected from the internal essence of the faith. And that's what he was calling them to pay attention to. They had become a little more interested in the form of the faith, the outward appearance, the behaviors, rather than the underlying substance of the faith what we might in today's language call the inner spiritual reality. So I liken it to 
the worker who is going through the motions of the job but no longer has a calling for that work. You might see it in your profession, medical fields and stuff where people are just, they've kind of lost the passion to help people, but they're going through the behaviors of helping people. Another example might be a, uh, a musician who is getting all the beats right, getting the notes right, but somehow there isn't a, a power in the singing. The opposite of Tracy. Today, as we heard her, she's, she's gone off now. She's been here three hours. But today, when we heard her, there was a congruence, wasn't there, between the passion she was bringing to the music and what the music was. You can sometimes tell when that's not happening with musicians, drummers, with artists, with teachers sometimes. They're just paying their time to get forward. If you remember the Godfather movie series, there's a marvelous, um, painful scene of this. It's still, whenever I see the film, it's, it just startles me. Um, Pacino is now the Godfather, right? And he is at the baptism of his child. Remember that scene? And as that is going on, his henchmen are killing his adversaries. Not an example of coherence, <laughs> of belief and behavior. Jesus perceived that the Pharisees and the scribes, as it's told in this story, had a disconnect between their actions and where their hearts really were. The congruence of belief and behavior was missing for these folk. Their faith wasn't authentic. And as we hear this scripture today, as I try to bring this scripture to you today, it's a reminder to us about trying to have our faith and our behaviors be congruent. This people honors me with their lips. Jesus is repeating Isaiah, who is speaking on behalf of God. These people honor me with their lips, with their outward behaviors, with their form. But their hearts are far from it. Jesus accuses them of empty words and actions because their hearts are not there a difference between their external religious behaviors or just their external behaviors and their internal spirituality. So I would just say, as I say this with us together in our hearing, uh, may the Lord have mercy on us. You may have been offering a silent prayer as I was talking that's already ascended to heaven that sent something like this. Thank you, Lord, that I am not like those scribes and Pharisees. Yet, really, let's think about it. Who among us can really withstand the gaze of God? 
whose pride and sense of righteousness doesn't just wither a bit when we're aware that Jesus is with us. You recall how in the story of Job, the righteous one, he bows in dust and ashes at the end of the story. And you may remember how Moses couldn't survive looking at God and needed to shield his face from God's glory. And if you're conversant with the prophets, not just Isaiah, but really the whole bunch of them in our Old Testament, you will know that 201, when they encounter the living God, they fall to their knees and say, woe is me, a sinner in the presence of God. So we're tempted to pray, ah, holy Jesus, do not look closer at me. But you know, really, that is the prayer of the Pharisees and the scribes. This is the desire to maintain a a pretense and to kind of scoot on by, to avoid the refiner's fire upon our soul. Yet we all need that, regardless of how long we've been a Christian or how long we have lived. We continue to need the effect of the living Lord in our lives, making us real. So rather, I would say, I would suggest to you that our prayer should be something like this. Look at me, Lord, please. Please look at me and help me to see what I need to see about myself for how I am at a distance from you. Look at me, Lord, and wash me clean. Pour your grace over me. Help me to let that just soak in and heal me, change me. Further make me new in your spirit. Help me to step forward and live in your spirit. I think this is the prayer of the one seeking a new life in Christ. And that this is the true desire of a disciple, wanting to continually grow fuller into the mind of Christ. Now, I know that we all are on our way with this. That's why we're here. We're all on our way. And maybe some of us a little further along than others. But one of the things that we Methodists hold true was coined in a language of Wesley as going on to perfection. And what he meant by that was not so much that um, 
we're going to count on Rachel by her 50th birthday to be perfect. <laughs> Not so much that, the perfection part of it, but the going on part of it. That however we are today, unless we happen to be the second coming, and is anybody that? <laughs> Hands up. Okay, so if you're not that, there's more to develop. There's more faithfulness to become, to live out. There's more growth that God can do with us to become more of what God would have us be. The going on to perfection is key for us as Methodists. It's key for us, I think, in a good way as we look at this scripture because it's reminding us that there's still more growing and becoming to do. That maybe we're not quite coherent and we are congruent and we can get a little better with that. Wesley used to say to the new preachers, preach the faith until you have it. And I don't know, maybe John didn't hear my sermon on authentic congruence or quite understand this story the same way I'm understanding it um, for what Jesus was saying. But you know, Wesley, if it was anything, he was practical. He was a very practical person in his faith. And I think the good of that statement is not to be inauthentic, not a blessing of inauthenticness, but rather is Wesley saying, you know what? If you keep practicing at it, you'll get it. If you keep working at your faith, you will continue to grow in your faith. Our ability to read the Bible and understand what's in there, for example. Probably the first time you read it or read parts of it where you were not as... Uh, easily able to comprehend what was there as you are able to now. The more you read the scriptures, Boyd would be glad to have you, or Peggy in their Wednesday night groups, the more you spend time in the scriptures, the better able you will be at understanding what's there. The more you put yourself in a position and step forward to act ethically, the better able you will be to act ethically when the time comes forward of stress and strain in those behaviors, in those circumstances. The more you practice being truthful, honest, moral, ethical, the more second nature it will become for you to be that way in your life. The more you spend time on your knees in prayer to God, opening yourself up for the impact of the living Lord in your life, the more conversant you will be with that experience. You'll start to sense it more often. You'll start to sense it more deeply. It will have a greater impact on how you think and how you behave. 
we ought to come to church really in workout outfits. If there was a spiritual workout outfit, maybe we can figure that out. That, that's what we ought to be wearing because we're coming to church to practice. We're coming to church to, to live into, to, to learn and to practice the behaviors of our faith, the experiences of our faith. Our goal here is to have those words of God through Isaiah not apply to us. This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Our goal is to go after that inner spiritual experience and have it become so real and alive for us that it affects what we say, what we do, our outward expression, our outward behavior. So I want to ask you to, uh, to consider doing something as Rachel and I come on board to, to be your pastors. And the first of those things is to, um, this is going to sound awfully old school, and I really am hipper than this. <laughs> But I, I, I really want to ask you to practice the disciplines of the faith. And if you're wondering, what's that? Rachel will teach a class on it uh, this fall or spring. <laughs> and we'll reintroduce you to them. Practice the disciplines of your faith, because as a, as a good athlete knows, you get stronger in doing the job the task, if you do the drills, if you develop the muscle memory of how to hit that ball or catch that ball, same thing for faith. You develop that spiritual memory, that spiritual muscle memory. So, re-engage yourself in those things if, if you're not. Please. It's foundational for you to be who God wants you to be. Secondly, I would ask you to not just engage those things, but rather to go into those arenas with a hunger to go deeper or to go higher. A hunger to challenge yourself to grow in your faith, to take that Methodist saying to heart, to take God's promise to heart that God has more for you than you've already experienced. And to live into that, to seek to intentionally live into that. And then just see what God does with you. It will be a good thing. It will be a, an amazing so I want to make some suggestions to you. Um, like, where do I get off doing this? I don't know, but um, <laughs> let me take the role of pastor here and, and make some suggestions. Worship every week if you can before you die. And then you'll be worshiping every moment, so you'll not need to worry about that. Worship is a powerful thing. Worship is a powerful thing for developing your spirituality. 
Make it a habit. Try to make it a habit to do it as regularly as you can. And you will find that you will be better able to have congruence between your faith, your beliefs, and your behavior. Engage yourself in daily devotions. I really don't know you all well enough to know how active you all are in personal Bible study or personal prayer. Um, I'm going to assume that you are to some extent. You're here at worship. You're uh, calling on the Lord for your life. Um, I want to encourage you to to do that more regularly or to continue doing that regularly, uh, being in prayer, being in Bible study. Um, Nothing better for you than um, frequently connecting with God and trying to have your day live under the light of that presence of God in your life. I think there's great value in doing that individually. I think there's also additional great value in doing that with one another. I'm glad to see that we are such an active church and we have a number of of Bible studies and book studies, uh, a prayer group that meets. Um, But you know, I don't know, you could count those on two hands, I think, maybe. Do we have more than 10 of those things happening? And we're a 500-member church. And in those 10 or 6 groups, maybe we account for 50 people? I don't know. I'm, I'm just guessing. I'm shooting from my hip here on that. We all would really benefit if we could be with one another in the enterprise of understanding Scripture, of praying together, or of thinking through Uh, ethical or religious issues that come to us in a book. So I would encourage you, I would encourage you um, to think about regular worship and personal prayer and Bible study and collective communal prayer and Bible study. These are good things that will help you move along in that growth of faith and life. We get an opportunity every Sunday, although you can... um, do it on other occasions as well, we get an opportunity to respond back to how God is active in our lives through our offering, through our financial stewardship. Um, That's a way by which we make real our faith, our stewardship. If you're not squirming outwardly, some of you are squirming inwardly, I know, just because I brought up money. And you're not supposed to talk about that, right, Marty? You're not supposed to talk about that in a public setting like this with nice people. But the the thought is that the squirming is because there's something about money, something about it and us, our attitudes toward that we need to get our faith in on also. So I would, I would invite you to think about stewardship as, as one of those disciplines of the faith and how you practice your stewardship being something that has the opportunity to bring God in a new and more powerful way into your life. Just like service through Rick's agency or through the manna stuff that you do, different work in the community, that service is a way by which you Deliver. You do your faith. 
the way you make it real. So these are some suggestions. Some of them are maybe of value to you because of how you are. Maybe none of them are of value at all, and I apologize for that. But you know what I'm saying about that faith belief lining up with behavior. Jesus is a stickler about it. He's remembered making a big fuss about it. We need to pay attention to it. May God help us. Amen. Let us respond to the message by standing in body or spirit as we join in our hymn of dedication, 438, Forth in Thy Name, O Lord. Let's all uh, join hands. We celebrate the power of God's spirit in our lives and in this place. So as we uh, break this circle and we go out into the world, we go with the uh, power of God and the good wishes of one another that we might have a great week, a faithful week, a week of love, a week of growth, a week of caring for one another. So make this world a little better place this week in the name of God through your lives. Amen.